three of our special on international teaching. <laughs> well, that was Welcome to Teaching Brood, and yeah, we're doing part three. Yeah, uh, and now, so we've talked about the process of getting international teaching, we've talked about what the various schools might look like. I know we haven't talked about any one school, and we really didn't feel like we should. Mm -mm. Not ours, not number one, you know, that, that libel. We don't want to get in trouble legally. No matter uh, how much we love what we do. Yep. And no matter how much we've heard certain schools of certain reputations, positive or negative, not our place. Nope. But there is one thing that we have both gone through, and it's kind of all, it's almost called the emotional roller coaster of international teaching. And we're not talking about, what we're, we're talking about here is the first few months you're in a new school, not after you're settled in. Because settled in is a very, very different thing. But there is... Side note, it takes a year to settle in. Or more. Depending on the city and depending on the school. Yeah. Um, but what we're saying is, and this is why there's often two-year contracts, not one. Um, but what we're talking about right now is what you are likely going to go through in your first few months of international education. And you're kind of going... Well, this is probably a bit load of like bull honky simply because, yeah, you just because you two have done it doesn't mean everyone else has. No, no. Everyone does it. Yes. They've done studies. There's like books written. One of my schools, I had a rundown of this process by a psychiatrist who came in and talked to all the new staff. It's a well recognized thing. So, you just gotten hired. Yeah, you're excited. You're on, you know. Mom, guess what I did? You've signed the contract. Everything's working well. And then you finally get to go ahead. Yeah, you are, in fact, going. For a lot of people, that doesn't settle in until they're actually on the plane, which is fine. Mm -hmm. For a lot of people, it settle, settles in way before. But. It eventually happens. It eventually happens. And this is what we call the beginning of the honeymoon euphoric phase of your international education life. You arrive, you're meeting all these new international educators. They've you're, got these awesome ideas. You're creating friendships with people you didn't even know existed, which people and personalities you didn't even know you could bond with. It's because you're all bonding over this beautiful thing about being a new international educator at this brand new international school. Or not new international school. Depends on how no. it goes. You might be in a country where for the first time in your life you have a housekeeper. You might be in a country where there's access to everything or nothing. Yep. Could be that you wake up and you're like, oh my god, there's a massive snake sitting in the backyard looking at me. Or you could be in a country where you wake up and it's nighttime, 12 hours of the day, or more. Um, so it depends on what you run into, but you have, but all of it is very, very exciting and very, very enthralling and it's euphoric and you've got an unbelievably active social life because everyone's not inviting wanting, you everywhere. Yeah, and it's, it's everything is like, woo! Let's go, life! Oh, your Instagram feed, your Facebook photos, everybody back home is going to be like, the what? WTF. <laughs> what the frig? Frig. Keeping it family friendly. Um, anyways, so yeah, you've got this period of euphoria. You've got this period of life is good and all is well, and I will never go back to home again because everything is great yep. and your school is phenomenal. And then eventually, just like with every high, you start to drop into a low, typically two, three, four months in. When things start to settle in and those little things you start to notice in your euphoria stage about the culture you're in or the school you're in, well, they tend to nag at you. They tend to tap at you a little bit. 
Yeah, just like that kid back in fifth grade who used to flick you. Yep, that one. So you get these little things and they become more and more annoying. And for a lot of international educators, uh, for most actually, you end up in this period of low or you drop into this period where things aren't as rosy as they were when you first got there. That's a normal thing. Don't let that kind of cover or change your opinion of where you are and what you're doing. It's a normal process. Totally. Yeah. You might even have a bit of homesickness mixed in with this. Yes, if you talk to your parents on a, more, on a regular basis, if you've got a good family connection or a good connection with friends at home, when you talk to them, you're wanting to be back there. And it's also possible that something is currently happening at home that you're not able to participate yes, in. Yes, I will readily admit I've missed out on several of my nephew's births because I've been away from home. And yep. it wrenches your heart and it kills you every time. But that doesn't mean you quit. Nope. It means you you endure through it and you rely on these new friends you've got and you rely on the experienced educators around you and you make you make and you keep yourself busy and you work your way through it and you make sure you take time for yourself to process what you're going through too. But remembering that you will get through this. Yes. This is this is the trade-off phase. This is where you know, you've got all of these amazing new experiences, you've got new food, you've got new friends, and as a result, that means you're also missing out on the first snowfall, yeah. or a birthday. Or your friends having a phenomenal time out on the town of your original home together, which you're missing. But that's okay, because you've chosen to be an international educator, and it's a phenomenal thing, and it's really cool. So you find your places. You'll, you, what you end up doing is finding your places in your town, in your place, where you kind of have your cheers, quote yep. unquote. Your, where everybody knows your name, places, the places you return to often. The places you love, and those aren't always the same. They change year by year. But for when you first arrive, you find those comforts. And it's not necessarily food and drink comforts either. No. Could be a yoga studio, could be a gym. Yep, could be a shopping mall if you're could a shopaholic. Shop yep. It could, whatever, whatever it is that you have the most active interest in, that's kind of where you're going to find your creature comforts. And those will keep you grounded, and those will keep you in a place where you don't drive your own, drive yourself nuts by talking to yourself too much. So you embrace those and you kind of enjoy them for what they are. What and comes after that? Slowly, you start to build out of it. And you don't go back into euphoria, typically. What you end up going into is your niche. You have the you friends. You find your groove. Yeah, you find your friends that you get along with the most that are your quote-unquote, your new quote-unquote family. Um, you find the people you get along with. You find your, your, you know, how your team is working out if you have one at your school. You're, you're getting to know people more. Those little things that were annoying are less annoying. Yes. Because you realize that they become part of life. And you often take some of them up yourself. Where you learn fun ways to adapt to them and be who you are within this world that you're now inhabiting. It's one of those things when I first moved to the Middle East and there was, like, let's face it, there was culture shock. Yeah. And there were so many things that I didn't know how to process. And it took me a long time to process. And I kind of realized about the time towards the end of this lull or this low period was that I had a choice. I could either go home and cry every night or I could go home and be like, wow, have I got more stories to tell around the dinner table now? Yeah. So you embrace what 
the good things are that you have around you. I went from a city of 200,000 people to a city of 22 million people. Public transit, mass numbers of people. They could have, it could have really annoyed me. But I embraced this new culture I was in, enjoying the things that I had to offer. I didn't become one of them, but I loved who they, who they and I were and how we worked together. And you talk to people on your regular commutes and you create fun stories and with fun weekends and you create interesting situations that you see on your walk to work or after work. And you, you have your comforts still, like you did when you were in that low. But you also are more willing to explore. Yes. And you embrace the idea that you can travel on your breaks. And you can take a break from those from the country that you need to every now and again. And you can go home during your breaks when you need to. So you kind of, you find that comfortable place. And that typically is where you sit and where you are. And it's a great place to be. And then you end up not feeling like you need to go home every day. That's true. And the things, you're still going to miss stuff. There's still going to be heartbreak. Yeah. But. But they're not as dramatic and it's not as important. It doesn't rock you to the core like you did in that temporary, kind of slightly depressive phase. Yes. And then, eventually, after several years, you start thinking about trying a different school in a different country. And admittedly, the process, when you do change schools, and if you change, okay, let me rephrase. Changing schools, changing cities, changing countries, different thing. Changing schools in the same country, a lot less shock because you're used to, you're not dealing with the culture shock as well as the school shock. Change culture, change country and school, and you're gonna probably go through the exact same process again. But the more you go through it, the less impact it has every time. But it still will have some sort of an impact. Yes. So you'll never get away from it completely. No. But you will learn to recognize it and embrace it and go through the process. Yes, and you recognize it as a process. So that's kind of the last little part of this three-parter on international education, how you first get into it and what to expect. We hope, especially if you're someone who's not an international educator yet, that this has been informative. And we hope that if you need to reflect on this, maybe you've just taken a job. And you can start preparing yourself for what's going to happen, the emotional roller coaster. And you can start talking to people about this, what's going to happen when you go. Bear in mind, we are recording this in December, so some people may have first started to pick up jobs now. Yep, absolutely. And you know what? If you're looking to have somebody mentor you through the process, that is an excellent idea. I know I've mentored a few people yes, through the process of thinking about it to signing up with a recruiter and putting stuff together all the way to having their first contract and moving and going through that whole first year so ups and downs. So don't hesitate to, number one, follow us at Teaching Brood. Um, message us over Twitter if you're going through this process or if you need you know, any sort of support or help with this, or email us. What's our email address again? Admin at teachingbrood.com. So yeah, if you, if you do, if you do or if you are in that depressive phase, which right now, this time of year, there's people starting, they're either in it or they're starting to come out of it. If you do feel like you're in that and you need someone to talk to or just even a good email ear, let us know and we will gladly. Happy to be there. Yup. We're here for you. We're all in this together. 
Alrighty, well, enjoy your adventures. Yep, and hopefully you've enjoyed this three-parter on international education.